Welcome to episode six of 1530, a tennis podcast. Uh, so what we're going to go ahead and look at today is the U.S. Open towards and then also looking towards the end of the season for the ATP World Tour. Um, we have the stat of the day. Um, the stat of the day is zero. Because Marin Cilic just turned 30, happy birthday, Marin. There are now no Grand Slam winners in their 20s. This is a, a first it's never happened before in the men's tour. And you can tell being in an era with Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, with a couple slams from Cilic, Delpo, and Vavrinka, there's no 20-year-olds, which is very, very, very interesting. We keep talking about these young guns breaking through, and it just hasn't quite happened. So I don't know if that number zero. We'll see when that comes through. No, no players won one a slam in the 90s that is born in the 1990s, but... Will that change? Remains to be seen. We keep keep waiting for the breakthrough. So let's talk about the U.S. Open, Matt, and also these young guys, if they can ever break through. Yeah, well, that's an interesting point real fast. I just wonder, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate to be in your 20s <laughs> at this point in your life in tennis because the big four. Um, but I don't know. I mean, will we ever look at these this group of kids coming up and, and look at them as having a chance to fight for the greatest of all time? Because none of them could compete against these, the big four. That's interesting. Yeah. They'll just never have the clout, right? So, I mean, even if somebody does come through and start winning majors or winning championships, uh, they won't have won them against Rafa, against Fed, against Joke in their prime. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and I was, comparison. yeah. And I was even looking at a chart that showed the different Grand Slams won different years based on your age. And Federer, right, he racked up a bunch in his 20s. He really has only won like a few, a handful, I believe, uh, like three or four, not, not as many in his 30s. The, the rate has definitely slowed down. Even Djokovic, who is in his 30s, has won some. He won a lot more in his 20s, and same with Nadal. And so the, the definite thing to take, for, the take there is that, like you're saying, these, these players are in their 20s, supposed to be the prime of their career, supposed to be the time if they are going to win a lot of slams, that's when they would do it. And they might even, mm -hmm. you know, might not ever happen, right? Like, it's, it's pretty <laughs> right. rare to rent a slam in your 30s, except for these great, great players, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Stan, who, and Murray, exactly. who, who find a way to win in their 30s. But, yeah, it, it's very interesting yeah. to see. Yep. Anyway, that's no, just point. Yeah, so, so U.S. Open, what are your thoughts on that, on that tournament? Uh, disappointment. Rafa was looking good until he had to quit, which is unfortunate. But, uh, you know, it was well fought. Djokovic took another tournament. I, I don't know. He's got, what, two in a row now? Yep. So you could start to make a case that he's back. I think that uh, conditions lined up perfectly for him with Rafa getting injured and just the way that the draw played out with Federer and his bizarre match against Milman that we'll get to later. But... I mean, that's the thing. He's playing Millman, who was ranked super low in, what, the quarters or something like that. And so, yeah, it was fourth round. He had fourth round. Okay. So he had an interesting interesting path to the finals. I don't know if I can say he's back yet. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure, as well. But Yeah. Yeah, actually, let's so yeah, let's just dive into Novak right now. Um, I, I, I agree with you to some extent. Um to his path to the final, when the, when the draws first came out, it was like one of the most difficult quarters, but it didn't turn out to be that way because, like I said, Federer didn't show up really. He didn't have to play against Djokovic as well. Some of the young guns kind of fizzled out early. 
Um, yeah. And so like I said, the draw, and then also the speed of the court is one thing that were that was that was talked about a lot. So the U.S. Open, it was pretty fast last year. The the players noticed it, and so they said the the tournament directors they said that they purposely um, slowed down the court a little bit just to. I don't know for longer matches or so, some people are accusing them of favoring the U.S. players, but that doesn't really seem to hold much water when, like most of the semifinalists last year in the women were American and Isner likes fast surfaces, Query likes fast surfaces. But regardless, I think it hurt people like Federer. Um, maybe even Del Potro in the final could have been able to his serve could have had a bigger impact on it. But I, I think it just favored the the returners like Nadal and Djokovic and, and Djokovic still to come through. I have I have numbers pulled up here, so Djokovic kind of in his prime, his hard court numbers comparing to his hard court numbers of this year, past 52 weeks. So of course, Australian Open, he wasn't quite uh, at his best. So some of those numbers will be reflected here, but we can still kind of look to see what, what the numbers are showing. So most of the numbers, he's not there yet. Uh, the numbers that are particularly interesting are second serve uh, points one on his own serve. He's still 5% below where he was. Um, at the time of his peak. And so those those points, right, where, where your first serve usually wins you those free points, that second serve really does show how dominant uh, a player can be. So still so 5% off, that's a pretty big number, especially in tennis. Obviously, like you said, we, we want to be in the in the 50s is a pretty good number there. Um, and he was 60% in his prime. That's, that's incredible that he was able to win that many points. As well as break points, he's almost 3% below that. Again, that seems like a small percent. But when when you talk about these break points, you know, they don't come along that often. Uh, I was reading an article that was talking about the percent of points even won in a tennis match. Winning 52% of a points in a match is pretty dominant, or 52% of a points over a season, um, because you know the other player is probably going to win his service points, and if you just win that extra couple percent of points, that could lead to lead to a blowout match. And so I, I thought that was interesting as well. Um, so also on the return, he's winning uh, 5% fewer uh, second server return points, which again, that's, it's a strong shoot. He's a, he's the best, one of the best returners the game has seen uh, on the same level as Agassi. And so he's still 5% off of, of what he was in his prime. And then that's led to different results, right? He's, he's, he's winning 6% fewer service game or return games, excuse me. Um, and he won 12% less matches than he did um, in tw 2015 is the year I have pulled up here. So I think he's getting close there. If he can create a few more breakpoint opportunities, do better on his second serve, as well as returning like the Djokovic did of old. So I think he's, I think he's there. I think he can compete for slams, but he's not quite as dominant as he was. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I guess I just mentioned the, his path because he only played, what, three ranked players in this tournament. Gasquet was the first at 26th, and then Nishikori, who he seems to always come out and play well against, was 21st, and Delpo obviously was third. Um, but I mean, other than that, he, other than Delpo, he didn't really face anybody that was really that, yeah, <laughs> that big no, of a competition. So. But it's interesting. It's interesting to see those return stats uh, compared to when he was really in his prime. Right. It's just a little off of that. And right. right. I mean, one a few percentage points in those areas make a big difference especially yeah tennis it's i mean it's it can be it can be a point here or there really that can decide a match Federer, he was he was very close to going up two sets to love on millman and millman broke him back and then that became a dogfight as we 
as we know from the match, and became very weird. He better complained about the roof, actually. He didn't really complain, but afterward on the match, they said, what was the matter? And he said, I feel like I couldn't breathe. And so the <clears throat> the roof on top of the uh, US Open, they don't actually have AC there. They use like kind of a natural um, way to circulate the air. And he kind of complained about that. He said he couldn't breathe down there. He was constantly changing his shirt from the sweat and just said, made him uncomfortable. And you could tell from his serve, something was off. Um, and it clearly affected not only him physically, but his mental game. Yeah. Well, Milman kept looking at his box. I mean, yeah. Fred was making errors that he didn't usually hit. And yeah, Milman was just as confused as everybody else. <laughs> he couldn't understand why Fred was missing what he was missing. Yeah, agreed. And unfortunately, some of these young guns that we keep talking about, Zverev, he lost a, a tight one to Cole Schreiber. Um, Alex Day... Uh, Menar, I believe I'm saying his name correctly. He he won the first two sets on Chilich, but then Chilich came back to have a pretty big comeback there in the five setter. And that that guy, the Alex de Menor, he the uh, Austra- young Australian, he definitely has the numbers and the stats, I think, to to back it up. But just couldn't quite do it against Chilich. So yeah, all the young guys just kind of fell up short. Tsitsipas, guy we were pretty high on coming in, mm-hmm. um, he lost as well in the early rounds. So just just showing that the the older, more more consistent guys are the ones coming through. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, Shapovalov lost to Anderson in a five-setter. So that was an interesting. I mean, Anderson, I guess, was ranked fifth coming into this tournament. I didn't realize that. Yeah. But yeah. Another young gun that went out in the third round. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. And then the the young Russian, the young Russian, excuse me. Uh, this one's uh, always a tough one to pronounce. Chekhov. Kunchekov. His first name's Karen. He he had a that was a very tight four setter against Nadal. Um, they all went either tie breaks or seven five. Nadal barely pulled that one out. So, like I said, I think these young guys are there. They're just not quite pushing through. Um, it's difficult playing against these all time greats, like you're saying. So, right, they're close. Yeah, maybe look at their one. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, any breakout players? I guess for you for the U.S. Open that you were surprised or you were impressed with. Besides the usuals like Nadal and, and Djokovic, right, right. No, I was inter- interested to see um, how well Isner played. He was really, I think, he was the only American that made it to the second week. Um, but yeah, he made it to the quarters, took a set off Delpo, and took one other set to the tiebreak to a tiebreak. Um, but Juan was able to put him away fairly fairly easy. But he's had a good year in general and, and played really well at the U S open. Um, I was looking at just kind of his career stats compared to how he played in the U S open and saw some interesting things, mostly his, so his return, the return points one was 2% higher during his time competition here in the U S open compared to even yeah, compared to his career. So it shows that he's able to get more than just his serve going, which has always been my frustration with this right? Is that he can he can serve like crazy, but it's hard for him to get any breaks. So he always goes to tie breaks, and that's a toss up. So he was at least doing a little bit better at getting that return game going and creating more break chances. Uh, he won two percent more return games, and uh, so it was just really really getting in there which is good and he's working on his game and becoming a more balanced player 
see if he can translate that into some more deep runs. Yeah, I agree. I've been impressed with uh, with with Isner this year. Not only beating uh, Alexander Zverev in Miami in the final, and that was a that was a tightest match as they come. But like you're saying, it's it's not it's not only the way that he's winning and his results, but the way he's doing it. You know, a lot more six threes. You know, like you're saying, he's he's coming off the breaks. It's not all seven six. Um, and it's it's right. obviously going to be tough when you're in a slam. I mean, the U.S. Open doesn't apply because it has a fifth set tiebreaker, but Wimbledon, French Open, all the rest, right? In the fifth set, if you if you can't uh, if you can't break, then you're going to keep going until you do. And that's he's been in some of those marathon matches. So finding mm-hmm. other ways to win, right? Like you're saying, improving that the ground game, being creative at net. I, I've really been impressed with with John Isner as well. Um, and then to your point on on Nishikori talking about Djokovic, yeah, it just seems like besides that, the U.S. Open semifinal in 2014 where Nishikori took out Djokovic, and that was a bizarre match. There was a lot of wind. It was kind of an odd weather one. Djokovic's own Nishikori. Um, and and a lot of times it's not really that close, a lot of 6-2s, six 6-3s, six and he's just able to own him. I pulled up the statistics for Djokovic against players that are um, that are 5'10 and under, which which Nishikori is 5'10. Um, and it just shows, I was looking here, some of the stats are interesting. They're, they're not by a lot, but again, in tennis, the the little things add up, right? So on the first serve return, Djokovic is winning 3% more first serve return mm. points. And those are supposed to be the free points. And against Djokovic, those are hard enough to come by. But then you're even shorter, right. which, and that's always been my impression, is Nishikori's serve, it can be sneaky, but it's there's not a lot of power to it. And unfortunately, I think Djokovic just gets a good read on it, and because Djokovic is always in his service games, Nishikori's good at breaking, but if he but if he can't hold, Djokovic is just, just going to have a field day with him, and I feel like that's what happens. Um, some of the other numbers are pretty pretty similar. That was the one that stood out the most, um, and then obviously four uh, percent fewer aces against Djokovic. If you're if you're five ten and under, you're probably not going to generate as many aces. Like I said, it's going to be more setting up the point than going for the right out a outright ace. But um, unfortunately, Nishikori, you know, came out strong with that five-set match against Chilich, but came up very flat against Djokovic, um, as he often does. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. It is. I, I, I love Nishikori. I love his playing style, but just I think it's, it might just be a matchup thing, right? With Djokovic right. being one of the best returners in the game. Every number. Yeah, you just have to be an incredible server, or come up with points in another way to beat Djokovic and he's just he's just a tricky one to beat. My personal favorite match of the tournament though was the Nadal Dominic team match. Uh as far as just fantastic points, the atmosphere, it was a fifth set tiebreaker that it went to. I mean, come on, you can't get more drama <laughs> than that. Like John McEnroe was saying he was commentating the match. I thought that match was fantastic and I know you had some stats pulled up here if you want to talk about the first set and how much of a bizarre set that was for Rafa. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um the first set obviously Rafa got bageled. Um, so the stats in that set were completely different uh, compared to the whole match. So the whole match includes um, that first set as well. But um, I think most notably, let me see, uh, most notably, team one, he won 12 out of the 14 second serve points 12 of his 14 second serve points um wow yeah that's, that's really, really good. yeah it's good <laughs> so <laughs> especially against the doll uh, i mean come on man that's right ridiculous right and rafa was, was five for 17 
So those stats aren't great. Um, but when you look at over the whole match, second serve, looking just at the second, um, second serve points one, Rafa was at 56.1% and team was at 54.8%. So over the next four sets, and this includes the first set, so Rafa's already starting from behind. But over the next four sets, Rafa won enough second serve points to be able to kind of take the lead in that area. I don't know. It just shows, I think, that Rafa picked up his game in those points where team's already already in the point because it's the second serve. It's, you know, it's not that first serve yeah. strength. And so I think those are often deciding points that can go either way. And Rafa really picked up his, his play there. Yeah, I, I, was, I agree. I, th I thought the match was a, uh, it was definitely a case of momentum shifts, right? Where team had all the momentum in the first and Nadal was somehow able to, to regroup and, and it kind of, it kind of went back and forth. And I thought actually in the fifth set, team had the momentum there and was just able Nadal was able to sneak a couple points there and pretty soon team misses a misses an overhead for, for the mm -hmm. match because again Nadal just does what he always does right he's able to get that extra ball back just like Djokovic as well right. and then and team missed it but it was just an incredible match great shot making um brilliant serves under pressure I it, it, it just had everything that you wanted in a, in a good dramatic tennis match agreed it was it was good yeah, I prefer it, Rafa to win more handily, but I know. <laughs> was... I know. Well, and and, and the thing it reminded me of the match against Dimitrov, if you recall that one in the Australian Open 2017. So it was the semifinals, and he ended up facing Roger in the final and losing. But that match against Dimitrov, Dimitrov was he had a lot more winners. It was a similar match length, I believe. It was even close to five hours, and people were man, if Dimitrov can play like this, he can be a slam winner. Um, right. Of course, Dimitrov's level, you know, he, he ended up winning the ATP World Tour final event at the end, but he's just been kind of spotty. But that th this is what this reminded me. It was like a coming out party for team. He's like, I can't, I don't just play well on clay. I can, I can bring it against the big guns on any surface. And he really showed that he, he's, he's got, he's got great shot making abilities and abilities to, to think under pressure. He showed great mental poise in that match. Um, I agree. Yeah, I think part of it is just. I mean, we talk about these young guns. There's still an aspect of youthfulness. Um, the big four have a ton of experience. They've been in every situation. And it does make a difference, I think, in, in those final sets. Set five, tie break. There's just a little bit more clutch yeah. than these youths may have. So. Yeah, and, and I thought an interesting number in there, looking here at the numbers. So break points one, uh, team was at 46%. Nadal was at 29%. Uh -huh. So... I mean, that's a huge disparity in break points one. If I just would have seen that number isolated on its own, I would have said team one in a landslide or one pretty easily. But again, with the tie breaks and things that I guess help you out. Um, yeah, and, and, and maybe part of it's just that first set, the 6-0, the bagel is kind of uh, skewing the numbers a bit. But I mean, these numbers are, are insane. And, and team winning 51% of the points rounding up and Nadal 49 but again, in tennis, right, you can start well, win all the points you want, but it's a new set, fresh uh, fresh slate. So Nadal was somehow able to regroup, and that was amazing because he was getting destroyed in that first set. Yeah, it was not, um, not looking pretty for Rafa. Yeah. An another player that I always enjoy watching is, is Stan the Man, Stan Wawrinka. He, he had a pretty interesting turnout. I didn't think he played that bad in the first couple rounds. He ended up meeting Raonic. Um, in the first set, he had match points in the tiebreaker. 
He had a he had a nice forehand uh, that he could have taken for a winner. He had time, missed it, and missed the line. So he went went for it a little too much. That was one match point. Another one, I believe, is a misserve or another error. So two match points gone, and then Del, uh, not Del Potro, excuse me, Raonic took the took the tie break, and then mentally kind of took the match. From there, it was uh, it was one or two breaks, pretty straightforward, straight sets win. But I want to talk about the numbers behind Stan. I I, I really do think if you were on the one, the first set that would have least maybe gone the distance, if not maybe Stan winning it, turning it around. So looking at his numbers, the serve numbers. Um, this is comparing his career numbers to this year, which and he's had a pretty terrible year. The serve numbers, surprisingly, are he's either been serving better or it's within a percent worse. Um, so really, the serve numbers, not a whole lot of change. Even his aces, his double faults are down by a little bit. Aces are about the same. The return game is, again, where the key is. Um, so firstly, he's... Uh, He's winning few percent, nine uh, percent fewer break percent break points one. Nine percent. That's that's a pretty big deal. Break points. Those are going to win you the sets unless you get a tie break. It's going to win you the match overall. He's winning four percent fewer return points. Like we said, that doesn't seem like a lot of points, and it's like okay, maybe a few first serves here and there, because uh, first serve he's uh, losing four uh, percent more, and second serve about four and a half percent more. Again, not a lot of numbers or. I mean, they're, they're small numbers, but added up, he's just not putting enough pressure, in my opinion, on the opponent's service game. Um, right. he's, just, he's not returning well. And so, and then that's leading him to lose. Um, and look, and total points won overall, it's only 2% fewer points than, than over his career, but that's leading to 4% fewer games won, 8% fewer sets won, ultimately 12% fewer matches won. So it just shows you how those small points in tennis really build. They really make a big... Um, impact on your confidence and then also in your ability to win sets you, you have to break you have to win those important points and i think stan is still struggling yeah i did see some signs of him playing a little bit better but i think he's still got to work on the return game his little bit of his fitness and recovering from his injury so that's that's just my thoughts on stan and yeah, i agree it's interesting when you don't when you this competition on your own serve you're able to attack a lot more play a lot better and on your return game, try to break them, and so it makes it a completely different match. Yeah, when you're not pressuring your opponent. Exactly. That's interesting. Oh, what what else did we have on the U.S. Open? So we covered, uh, I guess, just the final itself, right? Uh, what what were your thoughts on the actual final? Del Potro and Djokovic. Kind of cool that Del Potro was able to make another U.S. Open final. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I expected it to be more of a battle. Depo didn't even play a full semifinal uh, with Rafa retiring. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it wasn't much of a competition, apparently. Uh, Novak was very much in control for the whole game, which I was surprised to see. Yeah. Yeah, there was that second set, that the, especially even before it went to the tiebreaker. That was at a very, uh, I can't remember how long the game was, maybe close to 11 minutes, but Point was it was on Djokovic's service game, and Delpo had all these chances, break, 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 and he just couldn't quite break through. And I think as long the longer the game went on, the more important that Delpo win that game and take control of the set. And maybe if they split sets, then you never know what happens. But right. he was not able to win the game. They went to a close tiebreaker, lost it, and then by their two sets to love down to one of the greatest players ever, one of the greatest returners. It's going to be tough. And so... Again, I didn't feel like he served that bad. It's just I think Djokovic had a good day serving, and also the court just wasn't as fast. Um, 
But yeah, unfortunately for Del Potro, wasn't able to follow. He wasn't able to go two for two in U.S. Open finals. Of course, he had that amazing upset of Roger Federer in 2009. Shocked the world. Mm. Um, but it was cool. I mean, the, the New York crowd, there's quite a few people cheering for the Argentine. So that was cool to see, crowd getting into it. But just, like you said, Djokovic pretty much in control besides that hiccup in the second set. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. You look at his, at the statistics between the two, and Novak controls most, if not all, of the, the key stats. On a strictly numbers-based approach, Delpo didn't have much of a chance. I mean, yeah. yeah, you can, and that's that's a very good point, though. I mean, you look at that set, the momentum shift. If if Delpo had won just a few more points, like we talk about, it's a matter of a few points, then it could have been a completely different match. But Novak is, I think, better than anybody at at um, finishing yeah. finishing a, a match. And so when he was up 2-0, I'm sure. That was pretty much it. Yeah, exactly. And and even looking at the numbers, right? So it's a uh, 53.6% total points won for Novak, 46.4 for Del Potro. In tennis, that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty dominant number. Like I was saying, even winning 52% of the points, he's winning 54%. Uh, so pretty big, uh, pretty handily won match uh, by Djokovic, uh, which is unfortunate. Like I said, we were hoping for a bigger battle, but Del Potro is. Still the competitor that he was, gave it gave it his all. So, uh, yeah, it was also pretty fun. I don't know if you were able to watch any of the Labor Cup. Obviously not part of the ATP World Tour, but something that Roger Federer and others have helped uh, come up with the second year in a row. Um, this one was played in Chicago. Basically, there's Team Europe, where some of the best uh, players in the world, such as Vera, uh, Djokovic, Federer, Chilich, to name a few. Uh, or maybe Chilich, not this last time, but, uh, but Zverev. Um, to name a few. And then Team World is the rest of the world. So you have like Kyrgios, Jack Sock, Anderson, Isner. And it was a pretty fun event, especially watching the doubles. Uh, Federer and Djokovic teaming up. They barely lost uh, to Jack Sock and Anderson, as well as some of the singles. We got to see a Federer, Kyrgios again. Anderson got revenge over Djokovic from the Wimbledon final. He beat him, which is a pretty big shock. So it was fun. And it's and it's more of a team, team building uh event kind of like davis cup but it was it was pretty cool to watch the camaraderie i don't know were you able to watch any of the labor cup i was not no i heard it was there were some fun matches and some good tennis but i did not watch it yeah again again no raking points so not a huge uh even even bragging rights there but uh but still still pretty fun um it's really interesting the way they do the scoring too so each match so it's like a three-day event and the first day, the match is only worth one point. So even if the, the one, one team wins all the matches that day, it's not like, oh, there's no way to come back from it. The second day, the matches are worth three points. Third day, they're worth five. So even it's basically always going to be decided on the last day because of the way the points um, are structured. So I, I thought that was, that was interesting and fun. That is, yeah. That's um, but yeah, and then looking past uh, back in our former episodes, encourage listeners to listen to episode five. Um, interview with Dr. Kowalczyk, um, who specializes in tennis and statistics. That is her job. And uh, she had some very interesting insights into, into the data um, surrounding tennis and some of the things she, that she's working on, as well as future episodes. Of course, we'll keep covering the ATP World Tour for a bit, uh, to finish off, as well as um, we, we want to, at some point, do a special talking about Federer and Nadal, talking about greatest of all time, maybe have some numbers to back that up. I think that would be pretty fun. 
Uh, but looking toward the end of the season, Matt, what do you what do you foresee? We have a few more events left. You think Djokovic can take world number one from Nadal? What are you What are you seeing? We'll see. My concern is Nadal being healthy, right? Yes. So obviously, he had to bow out. It's open. Last year, he had to bow out of the um, final tournament there. Yep. At the end of the year, and um, so I just worry that he's uh, not healthy. I'm curious to see if he even plays in that year-end um, tournament because of what happened last year and his U.S. Open experience. But uh, I don't know. I we'll see. Yeah. Time will tell, right? Exactly. Djokovic is playing well, and you have to give him credit for his skill set and his ability to to play extremely well. So Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think it was a possibility until I was reading some article and they were saying, well, obviously he's won two slams and with Nadal look like he's not going to play the Asian swing with Shanghai um in the different mm -hmm. tournaments. Djokovic, he's a couple thousand points down. Uh, but if he wins a Masters 1000, it's a thousand right there in the end of the the World Tour event. That's that's a lot of points as well. So maybe a stretch, but if he he wins a couple more tournaments, would be impossible. But would not put it past Novak. Yeah, seriously, he's he's on his way to a comeback right now. Two slams in a year. That's 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 almost Federer or Rafa like from back from their injuries. So <laughs> I don't I don't know how these top players keep doing it, but it's it's yeah. a privilege to watch. So neither do the young guns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, with that, we want to we wrap up our episode six and we'll see you on the court.